You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the programme tonight, I visit the fabulous Fitzgerald's Woodlands Hotel in Adair County, Limerick and meet owner Mary Fitzgerald to find out how a B&B 40 years ago has developed into one of Ireland's favourite hotels. Marita Varley from Drummond House Garlic in County Louth will tell us how it felt to be recognised at this year's Eurotalk Awards. And Sally McKenna from Guides.ie has details about the programme for the Theatre of Food at this year's Electric Picnic. If at any point you'd like to get in touch with me here on the show, drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. So last week I made the short trip from the studio here in Newcastle West to Adair to the Fitzgerald's Woodlands Hotel. The hotel started out as a B&B on a farm 40 years ago and Mary Fitzgerald met me to tell me about the development from B&B to present day and the plans for the future. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Mary, we're out in the beautiful garden at the Woodlands Hotel. How it has all changed from 40 years ago. You've come full circle. That's right, yes. Uh, it was 40 years ago. I got married in 1973 to Tiku, uh, who passed away three years ago, almost three years ago. So when I got married, we were uh, in the garden together, growing strawberries, brussels sprouts, cabbages and all that kind of thing. That was our main business. And he was supplying, had come from Kerry, where they did it before themselves. And then he... He saw a bigger market in Limerick, so he wanted to recreate what he did and carry it home here near near to uh, near to Limerick. So Limerick was a big market for him. So that's what we were growing. That's what we were doing: uh, strawberries, as I said, potatoes, Brussels sprouts. They were a big thing because they were a new kind of a vegetable, a new kind of a trending vegetable. And at that time, were you doing bed and breakfast? Yeah. So I started off in '97. I I knew this garden work was very hard. I didn't mind the summertime, but especially in the wintertime, it was very difficult with the Brussels sprouts and all that kind of thing. So I said it must be an easier way of making money. So I decided then that uh, his family had been doing B&B in Killarney and in, on the Dingle, and outside Dingle, Tree on the Dingle Road. So I suppose I knew about that. And then the whole concept of farmhouse holidays was starting, just starting off, trending new things for farmers' wives to do in addition to that. So we were a farm, so naturally I thought about my house and then we had four bedrooms, one of which we lived in ourselves, and the other three then were for the guests. And then you expanded it to 12 bedrooms. So that was actually quite a big expansion then, I to actually, go from four to 12. Well, I actually went, from to seven, I went to seven first, building four bedrooms, three of them, and three bathrooms, never thinking about building them all en suite, because it wasn't in anybody's radar at that stage. But I went to America then in 1979, and I saw these rooms in the days in where they had the toilet and the, and the shower inside the small area and outside the washing room. So in 1981, the year Connor was born, I came home and I built 12 of those. So I had 12 and 7, 19. You were very ahead of your time. More or less, yeah, more or less. I was always kind of supposed watching the trending and seeing new things and things like that. So. And then we started doing evening meals and uh, because we had a bed and breakfast in the summertime but that doesn't sustain you all year round. It's all about sustainability of employment for myself. And of course that time women had to give up when they got married, working, that was the way it was. So I started doing dinners but amazing, the people that came to us to buy 
the uh, Brussels sprouts and the strawberries, they actually became our direct customers and they were the first people in to support us. So we kind of had already made a little market for ourselves and they continued to support us and they do it this present day. And last year, was it, you invested a million euros then in renovating the hotel, which now boasts over 100 bedrooms, an absolutely magnificent spa, a leisure centre. You have a pet farm. There's a ferry trail, polytunnels. The list really is endless. In the, in the, in the polytunnel area between the fencing and the uh, apple trees we put in, between the fencing, the apple trees, the fencing for the fantail apple trees, and all the infrastructural work that we've had to do with it is cost us up the brains of 50,000 that's invested here alone this year in this project. But it's it's what I want to do because I want to be sustainable. And of course, we're organic because of we we're two years in transition. We finally got our certification for my after, which I'm very proud of. And you're growing so much food, leaves, vegetables around here that you're using in the hotel. Yes, exactly. Since the since we started this project at the end of March, and since then, since May, when we got the first crop off, uh, we are completely sustainable. All our salad leaves are all coming from our own garden at the moment, plus some tomatoes, cucumbers. And as the year goes on and stuff is maturing, like we had our own kale last weekend now for our own called cannon, we say, and our own chives as well. So as it's coming on, we're going to be more sustainable in the produce. And even I have arranged in myself and the chef and the guy that heads out from the organic gardening for me, we went to the chef and discuss what they're going to be. We're going to devise a new menu in our Max Bistro and it's going to be built around what will be available from the garden. So all about sustainability. And I believe the spa even found a very novel use for the mint. That's correct, yes. And uh, I think it was the month of June they did a mojito uh, scrub. So they got the sea salt and the mint from the garden here and some mint oil and they prepared absolutely amazing scrub. You'd love to eat it, never mind, put it on your body. And of course then they, they do a mojito. You can have a mojito cocktail if you want it with it to make it, make it a real day, you know, out. Fabulous. I'm a bit of a fan of the mojito myself, I have to say, as you know. <laughs> I like mojitos myself too. So so we're just kind of creating, I suppose, through the herbs we have here, like we have sage, we have rosemary. So I think the next one that might be looking for the fall of the year is something related to rosemary, maybe in maybe October. We do a monthly special every month and it's all it's, we're trying to do it as organic uh, as possible, you know. So it's they also have a new uh, voya produce, had products just gone in as well, which are organic seaweed products as Excellent. well. So from Sligo, yeah, correct. very well known, a great brand. Exactly, so we've just taken that in now, so that, actually the girls are doing their training on it today. You mentioned travelling there, and you've travelled extensively yourself, and you've three generations working in the in the family business, and you do spend a lot of time together, and you travel a lot yourself, so it's something that's very important to you. It's very important to me to learn new ideas and see how people are doing it, and uh, I get a great buzz out of it, and sometimes you know, you'd see something done, say, I'd bring it home and I'd tweak it and I'd make it my way, you know, and that has really worked very well for me. And I'm so lucky now, I have a great travelling companion and my granddaughter, who's a real foodie, who loves her food, a great cook herself and very, very interested in all this, in this thing, which is wonderful for the next generation because it's up to us to pass it on. And I was very upset to see on a headline the other day where he said only one in eight people in England know that milk comes from a cow. 
That's know, mad. I don't think that could be the case in Ireland, could it? I don't it? think so. But, you know, we have to keep that in the back of our minds yeah. because it's most important that we, we tell our people where their food is coming from and to make them more aware about the importance of what they eat, why they eat and how they eat it. Is it a case of then, whenever you're travelling, you never switch off, you're always working? Never. That's what I enjoy. That gives me the excuse to travel. Always, absolutely. So I'm always looking at um, events that are on that I could hook up with to make a holiday out of it. So uh, the food festival in England is on my to-do list. And uh, also my daughter, my granddaughter identified uh, that we need to get some Highland uh, Scottish uh, cows now in. So we have a Kerry cow and we have some short turns and uh, so we get into more of the native breeds as well. So she wants me to go travelling out to a fair, maybe in Orkney or someplace crazy in Scotland. <laughs> That's the next thing which we're going to hoping to do because it, it thinks it would well, be different and it'd be an attraction because we already have a lot of things that are different here. What's it like being part of a family business because it would work for some people and maybe not for some and you're a very close-knit family because you, the more you work together you also spend a lot of time together outside of work because that's something that Elena, your daughter, told me in a previous interview. Exactly. Uh, maybe we're a bit different. Like We all work together like there's myself and my uh, my four children and sometimes their spouses help us out in the main kitchen. Orla runs the spa, David's wife, and Miles has the day bike in the day, but he's always available. He's a hotel trained as well, and everybody's available to help, and that's kind of, I suppose, the culture that they grew up with. And uh, my mother and father lived with us for 27 years, so they were there to help me, and I'm now there to help them, and that's kind of, I suppose, the ethos. But, like, it's crazy, because even when we're off, we want to be together. And the children are the same. Like, can I go to James? Can I go to this? Can I, each of their cousins. Like, that, that bond is filtering through all the way, you know. And we're always learning from one another and bouncing ideas off. Like, what if we did it this way? What if we did it that way? So our off time is very precious. We actually spend it together most of the time. We yep. always holiday together. Well, overlap one another and things like that. You, you must know? feel very blessed that that has happened because it's not something that you can really force. No, and I suppose... When you have it, it's like everything you must foster and feed it. So we are, I think we're well organised. We strategically meet every quarter to discuss the last quarter and the upcoming quarter. Like we even have a family strategic five-year plan. So I think by proper planning, we also have a family roster. So one person is always on uh, in the hotel, plus the weekends we probably all are on. But if you're going on holidays or if you want days off or whatever, so you submit to Elaine and she does the family roster. So you submit your off-duty, what you really want, and then you can swap amongst your, your uh, siblings in whichever you want to do. So it's, I suppose, well, it's a family business, but it's very structured. Very strategic. And that is the reason why it works. Yeah, and it, and it definitely does work. And even for other families coming to visit, it is a very family-focused hotel. You have so much here for families to do from all ages. Exactly, yeah, and especially as young children because I have seven grandchildren myself and people are kind of apologising to me when their children are going crazy around the place. I said, I have seven of them, I know exactly. So don't worry, it's very, that's what we are. We have a very focus on on, on uh, looking after children and, uh, uh, you know, I suppose providing facilities for the children, you know. So... Anyway, yeah, uh, the, I didn't like with older people. Like if you see them coming in and they're limping or whatever, you'd never put them in an upstairs room. You try and keep them downstairs. So I'm trying to teach that ethos to my uh, 
my staff as well. It's very important. There's no point in I having it and my family having it if you can't spread it out to the team. It's as well that we stood in the polytunnel now with this lovely shower of rain, which is going to be just what the garden needed after in such fact, a dry morning. How beautiful. You can all see all the different shades of green out yeah. there. Yeah. Speckled in with the nasturtiums and the uh, marigolds to like, find their own colour. So we have to have God's rain, don't you? Even in the rain, the hotel always looks so well because of the planting that you have around it. There's a lot of greenery and a lot of green space. As we've extended the hotel numerous times, starting off with a with a four-bedroom bungalow going on to 90-odd 90 90 odd rooms, up to 100 rooms now. The spa, the health centre, the leisure centre, the pool. And uh, so we've been very conscious now. I, if I'm building something now, because we have 44 acres of land around the hotel, I will build around it. I will never again move another shrub because it has taken so long for it to be looking so nice. So that's why I suppose you really have to think before you build and where you build it. I am never again moving anything because uh, I see how beautiful they are now and it's very important because that's all adds to the beauty and the ambience of the place. Well, you mentioned there being very strategic and structured. What are the future plans now? Where do you see the hotel in 10 years' time? Oh my goodness, where do I see the hotel in 10 years? This, this definitely I would love to see us, uh, if it could be economically viable for us, that we'd be able to supply all our own vegetables, including potatoes, from this point of view, uh, where we would, um, we have tried and build up a relationship with our local organic farmers, because we're in an organisation now, so we can buy the cattle, uh, and, and, and to, be able to be able to strategically use all the products like the beef's cheek is getting such a popular dish now. Who'd ever have thought five years ago that you'd be serving beef, beef cheek and how tasty it is? Um, yeah, I would love to add on more bedrooms. I would love to put in a kid's play area so it would be completely family friendly. And uh, all the time because of our involvement, Connor, especially my son Connor, uh, looks after all energy management, that we would be a self-sustainable way we use natural gas and we have just invested 75,000 in our ballroom to bring in fresh air and there's no mechanical cooling required if it's done properly. So I suppose to be drive that on and uh, also to look at um, maybe a wind turbine. We've looked at it before and it wasn't economically viable but like everything, like the electric cars, everything is getting better and more affordable uh, from that point of view. And then Richard um, is... is uh, is uh, our foodie in our house because he did six months in Ballymaloo and he has the retail business. I would like to see us having a retail shop, maybe like a, like a farm shop, for the better word. And I would hope that he would take that on board when he gets. Like, we're going through everything we have product by product, enhancing it and improving it. So then with that, and then of course David is the man that has to be accountable for all the money. He looks, he manages the money, and then he manages the sales and marketing and the room. So they all have their own specific job. So by working together. Um, so I said some of our five-year plan we've done already so uh, we're going to extend the ballroom as well and uh, we, we have some of the work done and we're hoping to do the rest of it either this year or next year you're never finished it's always go Ever. go go because if you don't uh, keep it up keep every place looking as good as you possibly can because we have a lot of repeat customers and people are always saying oh you've done this you've done that so you're keeping people interested alive and we don't ever let the grass grow under our legs how did you manage that during the recession? Did it affect you like it, was, it did a lot of businesses? It was very, very difficult and I suppose what we couldn't do structurally, we were very prudent if it was a small amount of money we were able to give the, keep the place looking fresh. We actually did up our lobby in the middle of the recession, would you believe that? And just by adding at Christmas time nice Christmas trees and 
be more creative amongst ourselves. And of course, we all battened on the hatches. We were all working 20 hours a day, the whole family. And we were still able to keep the place looking fresh. And what we couldn't do, we absolutely went with service, service, service. You know, and that brought us through. And the people have been, they were always good to us, have been extra good to us. And that was sustaining. I always say to people, thank you for helping us through this. And I turn around every day, people have had everything they ever had with us. And I mean, I keep thanking them because especially a wedding, they're spending their life savings when they come to you and the whole family are on show. So like you are representing their family because it's their day and they want it to be the best. So you have to go in behind them and give them the best. And that's kind of being sort of the ethos of all, what we are really. And now you're having weddings of the children of people whose weddings you Correct, have. Correct, yes, exactly. Indeed. We've done about 10 of them this year already. It's fantastic. It's a huge compliment. And people say, well, I had my communion here, I was baptised here. And I mean, it just gives me such a sense of pride, you know, it's unbelievable. Over the past 40 years, what would you say has been your your biggest achievement? I suppose having developed the hotel and I suppose, uh, uh, the fact that my children are working in the business with me has to be my number one thing. And I suppose we've got a great quality of life. Myself and my husband, today's husband, we had a very fun time and our job was, it was our, it was our life, it was our hobby and that was having developed the hotel to that and to be able to continue to, to do it and to have it looking as well as it is, to be able to do the opportunity and of course great health and I suppose I have to add on to say that I was the first woman president of the Irish Hotels Federation after 65 years so that was a great personal achievement to me who had no, what I call, uh, official training in, in the hotel trade, the training of life. And, and I suppose I've tried to get my staff as they never saw no, never say no. Um, I suppose that mentality and what I would have that evolved. I suppose they are my own personal achievements. I suppose. You mentioned Dick there, your your late husband. Mm-hmm. And I suppose we better give the last word to him. He's very much remembered in the hotel and in particular in the bar. That's right. Yes, uh, he ran the bar for forty years. I suppose that's how we have ended up having a hotel. He was always interested in having a bar, and we looked at buying a bar and different things like that. So to be able to bring it in under the one business was really fantastic for him. And he was the kingpin in there. He knew everybody, met everybody. He could tell you, I, I miss at breakfast time in the morning, he'd come home and say, well, I met so-and-so, and they have had a new baby, or someone sick belonged to him, whatever. So he was able to hold that bond of people that felt connected to our hotel. And he was the number one. So we've just dedicated the bar to him now, with pictures depicting his life. And I'm sure there's a lot more we could put up there. And we're getting lots of people coming so I tell us this story of the of the numerous colourful events that they had with him or he was a very colourful guy and, and great fun to be with and I miss that. But my children are making up for me and they're very good to me. And you have a stout, Dick's stout. We have brewed by a local craft brewery up in Kilmanock, blended in his memory, Dick's stout. And it's uh, going very well for us. So we use it to to make um uh, um, cheese that the cows make for us with the stout in the Castle West and also we make our own bracks and fruitcakes and things like that you know so Fabulous Yeah Well congratulations on 40 years it's such a major achievement and everything that you've accomplished in between and I think you know the whole family side of things is something that really deserves a special mention because you do have a beautiful family Thank you very much Sharon Thank Gr- you Great to talk to you Thank Thanks you for too. having me and the rain has gone off now so we can we don't have to make a dash for it Thank you You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine.
Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was in Adair, County Limerick to meet Mary Fitzgerald in the Fitzgerald's Woodlands Hotel and we were sheltered from the refreshing impromptu shower thanks to the newly added polytunnel which is producing some fabulous produce including wonderful leaves and tomatoes and radishes to name just a few which I got to take home with me and scoffed all of them in the car before I got to the house. So there you go. If you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 9am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And now it's also on the taste.ie website, voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Still to come tonight, we'll be finding out about the programme for the Theatre of Food at this year's Electric Picnic, thanks to Sally McKenna from Guides.ie. Next, though, we're going to hear from Marita Varley from Drummond House Garlic, which is based in the Boyne Valley. And Marita's going to tell us about being recognised at the Eurotalk Awards. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Marita, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me and congratulations on your latest award, yet another one to add to the collection. Thank you very much, Sharon. Yes, I, I'm definitely still on a bit of a high, to be very honest with you, about our latest Eurotalk award. Well, tell us what exactly Eurotalk is and what this award means to you. Uh, the Eurotalks was set up initially in 1996 by Myrtle Allen and um, it's the organisation by chefs. It's, it's a very much a trade industry award and uh, they, they do this to honour people who produce food of a very good flavour and quality. The chefs themselves have to actually be using your produce in their own restaurant and buying it. Um, so they use that and um, it, it's a very good body in, in the sense that they have very strict standards. So by focusing on the food and the production methods and, you know, how it's produced and the traditions and the heritage that goes into each product, um, they all are allowed to nominate um, whatever food product they like. Um, the shortlists and the nominations are never published, so a producer will never actually be aware this is all happening in the background, which I think is a really, really high honour for any producer to receive one of these awards because you have no idea you've been nominated. You have no idea you're going to be selected or discussed or picked. So when they actually contact you to say you have been nominated and you have won, um, it really is a huge, I found it a huge honour and a huge privilege because you can't canvas this and you can't influence it and you can't get friends and family to vote for you. So it is very, very independent and uh, it's highly secretive as well. So uh, I found it a huge privilege to think this was going on over the past 12 months and being discussed and used all without our knowledge. And you won the award for your fabulous drum and toys garlic. That's correct and right. Um, our heritage garlic, which we have um, developed over the past four years, our first three years, we didn't actually really sell it on the market because we kept increasing our seed bank. So the heritage garlic was a seed we found in Europe 
from um, the, the Eastern Bloc, more so from the, the Ukraine area. And um, it's a very, very good seed. It's over 800 years old and it produces the most beautiful, really strong bulb, probably about six to eight cloves, but they're very, very large and they're very, very strong. So the flavour is absolutely tremendous from them. And the quality of it and the, the way it lasts, the chefs obviously over the past year, just last year when we trialled it out, they obviously felt it warranted acknowledging and they obviously discussed it. So it was a huge accolade for Drummond House Garlic to achieve. Your garlic is very special because of a number of attributes. You talked about the flavour there, for example. It really sets it apart from some of the other garlics that are in the market that are being imported. That's correct. Over the past 12 months, we, we've had a fascinating journey. Um, one college has actually, one student was doing a PhD and was analysing our garlic versus imported garlic. And we ended up on the TV show, um, the What Are You Eating? And in the lab, when it was actually scientifically tested, the our Irish grown garlic actually came out top on the zinc level, which garlic is meant to be very high in zinc. That's one of the natural things in it. So ours came 10 out of 10 on that versus uh, one of the imports. I'm not sure which one it was, but the highest they could find on the imported was about 4%. So there's a huge plus on the health benefit side when people acknowledge, you know, we want to eat fresh food. There's no carbon footprint involved in ours. Uh, the way it's grown, the soils are tested, the pH balance is perfect. So we're, we're hopefully doing something right. Well, you're obviously doing lots of things right whenever the chefs are using it and are nominating it for an award of this prestige. Tell me why you decided to start growing garlic, because you're not growing it for that many years. No, this is our fourth crop. It's year five, but it's our fourth crop. Um, farming, I suppose, has taken a big direction and turn in Ireland in the past 20 or 30 years a small farm holding isn't really viable and when you've two young children coming up the tracks and you need to make your farm profitable and that you're not just working for nothing we decided to look at you know growing something on the farm that would be high-end and hopefully profitable so you know everyone knows about garlic so that's great and when we checked around, you know, there's great interest in growing garlic. And, you know, a lot of people with their little allotments and everything can grow a little bit of garlic. And I was saying, well, if it does grow in Ireland, how about we try out and try and grow garlic? There's actually nobody in Ireland on a large scale growing garlic. So there's an opening in the market. So from a business perspective, you looked at it from if there's an opening there, well, then we're not going to have too many competitors. Irish grown garlic. Most people seem to love garlic. So it. it we just said, look, we'll, we'll give it a go, do the best we can, hit the market. And um, yeah, it's, it's been an overnight five year success, if you can call it like that. Uh, it does take the time, but the, the market does demand it. So that was a really big positive. You can grow beautiful things, but can you sell them on the other side? That's the, the problem a lot of people were finding. So thankfully, the demand was there for proper Irish grown garlic. How did you approach the sales aspect of it? Because as you say, it is one thing to grow a fantastic product, but to get it out there into the market and get it known. What was your strategy to make sure that that actually happened? 
We knew for the first two to three years we would have to probably hold back 75% of the crop because we use home safe seed. And while that's adapting to our climate and our soil, so I really only had about 25% of each crop each year to sell, which is very, very small. So we were obviously doing the marketing, the branding, the market research. And by tipping away with the chef end of things and the wholesale end of things and very locally in our Boyne Valley area here in Laos and Mead, uh, the, the local lovely fishmongers and craft butchers and lovely little shops were selling very small quantities of it. And through that then we kept getting more and more inquiries why can't we have more? Oh God, are you sold out? When's the new season kicking in? And the, the response was overwhelming. So we probably did it backwards. We created the market demand before we actually had enough to supply the market. So that gave us the confidence each year to say, well, right, hold back three quarters, replant it, harvest it, and then sell again. So it was a slow process, but at the same time, the, the product awareness was getting out there very, very well. Our brand name was getting out there very well. So thankfully this year, we've just finished harvesting on Sunday, eight acres, which is the biggest we've ever achieved. Um, that's about 80 tonne of garlic has come out of the ground. I'm delighted about that. So we're going to be hitting the market now, thankfully, with all the publicity and support from the chefs and from the media, we now are hopefully going to be launching our retail range in probably one of the multiples on their, their shelves with our whole packaging, our branding and a couple of new products coming down the tracks developed out of our own garlic. Now, it has to be said it has not all been plain sailing because you've said there about bringing 80 tonnes of garlic out of the ground, but you didn't bring it all out. You actually had thieves on site there a few weeks ago. We did, um, very surprisingly, which I still have no more knowledge about. Um, we have our beautiful allium flower that grows on the elephant garlic. So again, the lovely chefs giving me guidance of telling me what was edible, which everything is edible. We let the, the beautiful elephant garlic scape grow up to about six foot in height. And this beautiful lilac-y um, allium flower, which is very chivey, garlicky, it's got a lovely punch in it. They were all beautiful 300 of them standing in the field because the chefs obviously want to use them and create their beautiful dishes and you know that's what they do best and literally exactly 100 of them were taken and they're quite a valuable flower because you can't grow the flower on its own you must grow garlic so it's a very very unique little flower and uh, obviously we're the only ones with the with the elephant garlic and the flower that um, I, I was just amazed and dumbfounded now they've never surfaced the chefs in fairness have kept their eyes out so I, i'm just amazed that um something like that could happen was it just the flower part of it or did they dig up the the garlic bulb as well no they actually just physically came in with obviously i'd say a shears because the stalk has gone rock hard wooden so a pair of scissors now in your hand you won't break these things and they're five and six foot height as well so they actually had to probably have a really good sharp blade stanley knife or you know garden shears or whatever and literally one after another in a perfect line took exactly 100 because we knew we'd only left 300 so we could count and uh, it's remarkable that w and none were dropped or anything like that that must be a really heartbreaking situation as a, as a farmer to come out 
and find that your your crop has been ravaged like that because there's no way of protecting it except if you're going to camp out every night of the week. That is the downside to it and we, we totally embrace anyone wanting to come to the farm. We walk them around, we give them the tour and with curing the garlic now, I think that's what kind of disheartened me and scared me and scared Peter, my husband. When we're drying the garlic in, in the drying sheds, you have to leave all the doors wide open and absolutely let the air flow through. That's how they're cured. So obviously at night you're going to bed and all the shed doors are left wide open. There's thousands upon thousands of garlic bulbs there with, you know, locks or anything like that on them. There's nothing to stop anybody rocking up here in a van in the depths of night, filling their van and driving off because my garlic needs fresh air. I need to leave the doors open. And as you said, you know, you can't, be awake 24 7 and watching the whole time and like many farms are in a in a similar scenario with you where security is minimal because that's just the nature of the business exactly and you know whether it's down to just somebody coming in and you know it's stealing potatoes or it's stealing carrots or turnips or you know cattle or machinery you can't ring fence your farm you can't put security cameras up everywhere none of us have the money to do that or the technology and the 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 level of expense that's involved in that you have to have that level of trust that you know you you respect somebody else's property and it, it really opened my eyes to another side of the farming industry that, you know, all farmers are up against. The news then that you had won this Eurotalk Food Award must have given you a bit of a lift after what was a bit of a down period. It really and truly did. You know, it really made me feel, you know, people do care about your hard work. They do care about your passion. You know, passion isn't going to make you money. But when you really and truly believe in something that you know is 100% great and you pull out all the stops and like most farmers in the country you'd never be able to pay yourself the wages that you probably do deserve so an award like this makes you feel this is worthwhile it is worthwhile doing people are recognizing it people are using it people are talking about it that you're going well we must be doing something right and you know, to get an award, any type of award, but especially this Eurotalk one, because they're so difficult to get. Like there's over 5,000 artists and producers in this country alone. And there's, you know, we have such a range now of produce in Ireland that, you know, we could nearly grow 80% of everything that's required. We've beautiful cattle, milk, butters. We've got the sea. We're an island. And the vegetables that are coming out of the ground by arts and growers are just amazing. Ireland is definitely getting up there in Europe, and I've noticed that through the chefs. And uh, we're really getting acknowledged and we're getting, you know, accolades. And I think we're moving in a very good direction on an agriculture and horticulture front in this country. Whenever you met the other winners this year, the other companies that were were recognised, that was at Hugo's and Marion Row in Dublin. Did you get an opportunity to taste each other's wares? Did they have nice nibbles for you to celebrate the occasion? 
Oh, we did. Mags, the, the executive chef there in Hugo's, did a fantastic job. And the lovely Yvonne Carmody from her Dexter beef farm down there in Tipperary. There was beautiful nibbles of her beef tartare. And, uh, the, the fish was beautiful. The cheeses, the Millen's cheese was absolutely to die for. And the butter and the raw milk. It, it was absolutely exquisite. It was flavours like you've never had before. And these are all passionate people quite small some of them and it's it's amazing that they can turn a living in different parts of the country you don't it doesn't always have to be about Dublin or Galway you know it's very much spread out and it was fantastic to see that chefs from all over the country are so proud of the Irish producers and really and truly are passionate about the quality and how the whole process goes and want to say well done guys and we're proud to have you on our menus. The food scene in Boyne Valley is very much to the fore now and it's very much on trend and you all work very hard in the area to raise awareness about all the fantastic artisan food producers that are there. In fact you're one of the 10 shortlisted for this year's foodie destination. That's correct. We're actually having the judges coming on Thursday. It was We were delighted to be selected for the final again this year. Uh, I think the East Coast and kind of the Boyne Valley and me, then the whole surrounding areas, we haven't really got acknowledged. We didn't really pull together as, as growers and producers. And I think when we all met together and we're kind of going, oh my God, in such a, you know, a spread out, but in a small area, we have so much to offer and there's so much to see on top of eating and there are fantastic places all around you know Meath, Louth, Cavan, all the areas around us and with working together we're definitely getting noticed the produce is 100% exquisite and people are beginning to realize you know you can tour around here but you can eat like a king you can get so much history and um, I think it has really put us on the map the Boyne Valley Food Series, we just did the Oxford Food Symposium there last month as well. And there was 270 of the top food people from around the world. And Board Fulcher sponsored that for us all to provide our wares to go over. And apparently, I unfortunately couldn't make it, but it was just, it went down phenomenal. Board Fulcher, the response Ireland got and Ireland's Ancient East and the Boyne Valley was fantastic. You'll be expecting lots of visitors from the Oxford direction then as a result of that initiative. Well, it was great. We were picked because we won Food Destination last year, the Boyne Valley Food Series. You have to be asked to cook at it. So that was a big accolade. So it really does go to show by communities pulling together, creating their food series and creating an identity and entering into awards like this that you do get noticed and your produce is rated up there as some of the best in the world. Well, congratulations on being nominated for the foodie destination. I hope all goes well with the judging on Thursday and congratulations again on winning one of the Eurotalk Food Awards. Delighted for you, Marita. I think it's a fabulous product. I was so lucky to have met you last year whenever I was in the Boyne Valley at an event and um, continued success. Well, thanks for all your support and following us through on the journey, Sharon. And I look forward to hopefully talking to you again soon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by the Taste.ie, voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine.
Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we were talking to Marita Varley from Drummond House Garlic in County Louth about her award-winning products which were recognised at this year's annual Eurotalk Food Awards. And earlier in the programme I enjoyed a visit to the Fitzgerald's Woodlands Hotel in Adair, County Limerick to meet Mary Fitzgerald for a chat about the hotel's 40 years and future plans. If you're just tuning in and you want to catch up on Best Possible Taste you can do so on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 9am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app and it's on the taste.ie website voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. So now we're heading back to the phone to talk to Sally McKenna about the programme of events taking place this year in the Theatre of Food at Electric Picnic. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Sally Electric Picnic returns this September and no Electric Picnic would be complete without the Theatre of Food. Tell us what people can expect from the lineup this year. Um, yes, we are very excited with our lineup again this year. I mean, it's been wonderful because theatre food has become a bigger and bigger part of Electric Picnic um, year on year. And we have some old favourites. We've got the Happy Pair, of course. They always get a huge crowd. Uh, they stand on their hands and um, throw biscuits into the waiting people, and it's all very exciting. We've got uh, who else? We've got Gotam Ayers coming back with Indian street food. We've got um, uh, Takashi Miyazaki. Um, so we have a wonderful international um, program for, of, of great food. Takashi is going to do something on Love It to the Bone, which is all about fish cookery, using actually using and eating bones and heads. Uh, so that's going to be a really interesting one. And we're going to be using um, trout, goat fish trout. And he's going to show us how to use every part of the fish. Uh, so that's Takashi. Um, so those are some of the people who have been before. We've got some new new people to theatre food. We've got Rosanna Davidson, um, which should be great fun. Uh, we're all looking forward to, see, to meeting her. Um, she's got a new book this year, Eat Yourself Fit. And in fact, we've got a number of uh, authors um, who've, who've got books published this year, and um, they're, they're Gill authors. So we have um, Finley Fuelon, who's a wonderful book. You know it. Thin World. I, I don't, I'm not familiar with the book, but I have seen lots of coverage in the book because she's a gorgeous looking lassie and she is obviously a surfer because the picture is of her with her surfboard. She is, she's a surfer, but she also, she, she accidentally almost found out that she's uh, gluten intolerant. And it's, so it is a book about gluten-free cooking, but it's not, it's not sort of upfront gluten-free cooking. It's just incidentally gluten-free cooking, um, which makes I think all the more important because it's, you know, it's not a free-from book. It's just a, it's, a, it's a health book in a different way, and it is much about surfing and everything. So she's going to come and share those recipes with us as well. And um, we also have Sophie White. She's another cookery author from the Guild Stables, and her actually she has a very interesting story to be told, which starts at electric picnic. I, I, I won't I won't spoil it, but. It really is quite a personal story about how her life changed, about really a bad experience um, and and how she sort of came out of that. So she'll be talking about her book, Recipes for a Nervous Breakdown, um, and that will be very, very interesting and and quite serious and a real learning curve for people. But another person, best-selling author Aileen Cox-Blundell, she's a book called The Baby-Led Feeding Book, and it's a book about 
feeding children and letting them help themselves. And I must say, it's a book that I wish I had when I was when my kids were babies. Um, and he's going to be giving advice to people. So we've, um, you know, we've got some interesting authors, and another one is um, um, Rory O'Connell. You know, the co-founder of the Ballymore Cookery School. He's he's, a, he's got another TV series coming this autumn, and he's wonderful award-winning books that really teach you every element of knowing how to cook, mastering the art of cooking. He's going to be with us as well. So it's it's great to have some some, some really good authors coming along. And it is very much a mix of cookery demonstrations and talks and lots of fun, as you you, you said there about the the hand standing from the happy pair and they're the first up on the, the Saturday morning because I'd say it's not easy to get out of bed early at um, Electric Picnic. Well, it's, you know, everything starts much later. I mean, I'm sort of an early to bed person, but the day begins later and it goes on later. So, you know, we still have, we've got uh, demos going on to, you know, half seven at night, half seven, eight o'clock, and then, then we all go and listen to music. But uh, you, we've got debates, you know, we've got two really interesting debates. We're so excited to have Sentinel Poole, the amazing journalist, joining us. And he's going to be talking with Susan Steele, who's head of, head of the Fisheries Protection. And they're going to be talking about food sustainability. And with Rory O'Connell will be there with them as well. And JP, uh, JP McMahon is bringing some bugs and ants for people to taste to talk about alternative proteins. So we'll be really looking very deeply at, at, at sustain, sustainability in food. I think that's going to be uh, just an important debate. And it's great to be talking about serious things in Electric Picnic as, as well as having a lot of fun. And on a, also on a serious side, we've got um, some women chefs. I mean, there's a lot of talk about how, you know, it's difficult for women to get on in the kitchen. And sometimes it seems tends to be slanted towards, you know, a, a male environment. So we've got a talk on the Sunday, which is with Audrey McDonald, Jess Murphy, you know, Jess from Kai, Maggie Roach from Hugo's and Doreena Allen. And they're going to be talking about the future of food from a, from a woman's chef perspective. One chef that's going to be there this year that there might be a little bit less of this year is Gary O'Hanlon because he is one of the celebrity leaders in this year's Operation Transformation. What's he up to in the theatre of food? Well, he's going to be joining um, a group of people and we're going to be looking at the idea of fake food news. You know, that you hear a lot about fake news at the moment. And we have an hour on Sunday afternoon devoted to this topic. You know, how is food reported? And uh, we'll be looking at uh, Ali Dunworth and Hilary O'Hagan Brennan. We'll be looking at, in a thing called Insta Win or Insta Bin. They'll be looking at actually food that's posted on Instagram and they'll be cooking it and getting people to taste it and say, you know, is it, is it, as, it may look wonderful, but does it eat well? So we'll be looking at that idea of how people present food on Instagram. And then um, Neil Toner from the Sunday Times will be talking about the whole subject of fake, fake food news. And that will evolve into a debate with Gary because Gary's so much a media person in terms of food and his work with, you know, hospital food and uh, he, he, you know, he does so much good. He's, I have so much admiration for Gary. So he'll be talking along with Suzanne Campbell and Dee Laffin um, about the whole subject of how, how food is reported. The whole who's who in the food world will be there because the combination of the two, food and music, they just go hand in hand. How do you come up with such an innovative programme of events? Well, I suppose it 
it sort of suggests itself, really. I mean, every, you know, we spend the whole year thinking, gosh, that would be good for picnics. That would be brilliant. And by, honestly, by December, the next year's programme is usually full. And people often come to me in February and say, can I be part of picnic? And you say, I'm sorry, we'll have to start. We're already halfway through uh, the 2018 programme, bringing it together, because there's just so much to write, so much to enjoy in Irish food. And, I mean, when you mix it with music as well, we're going to have lots of surprise uh, little things popping up. We've got some actors who are going to come along. And what we want, it's a real theatre. You know, it's vaudeville. And so, you know, there'll be, you can, the idea is that you can come to Theatre Food and you can stay there for the whole weekend and you won't want to go anywhere else apart from a bit of music on because we'll have music, we'll have loads of food, loads of food to taste, uh, interesting debates, fantastic demos. We've got actors and we've got loads of tasting in our in our new um, our fringe festival. We've got literally there'll be tastings going on all day long, as well as um, workshops and programs. We've got Kevin Thornton will be doing a masterclass in that uh, area. We've got um, the Doyle Food the Doyle Collection are going to do uh, something on um, toast in the morning because toast has got very fashionable. And we're also going to, going to do Irish coffee. So we're going to look at Irish coffee and how to make an Irish coffee. Uh, that'll be part of our mixology um, debate. We have lots and lots of things about cocktails and, and mixology. Uh, and of course, we had to have Irish coffee because it is, it is the sort of ultimate Irish cocktail. For you then, what is your personal highlight this year out of all the events? What is the one thing on the programme that you say you must not miss it? Well, I, I'm i a bit different, but I would I know exactly what I'm going to be glued to, and that's uh, Susan Steele, head of the Fisheries Protection, talking about seawater. It's just I'm so interested in seaweed and seawater and kayaking. That's my passion. And she's, she's got a talk entitled Vitamin C, and it's going to be how, um, you know, all the links with, with seawater and what you can do with it. Um, so that's a personal one. But I'm also really looking forward to hearing Ralph Roll play Let's Dance and a few other things that I'm not going to say because that's a secret but I'm, so I'm looking forward to the music as well Well it sounds like it's going to be another fabulous year so thanks very much for putting such a great programme together and um, best of luck with it Thank you Sharon we'll hope to see you there Bon appétit Yummy Grubs up Delicious Mmm not a great line there, so sorry about that, but always great to talk to Sally McKenna. And if you are heading to Electric Picnic this year, you're in for a treat musically and, of course, culinary-wise, with that programme of events being staged in the Theatre of Food. And if you'd like to share your experience with me, please do drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie. And that brings us to the end of tonight's Best Possible Taste. Thank you so much for your company and for tuning in. And to my guests, Mary Fitzgerald, Marita Farley and Sally McKenna. If you've missed any of tonight's show or you want to listen to previous shows of Best Possible Taste, be sure to check them out on SharonNoonan.com. I'll be back next week and I'll be talking to sisters Sinead and Ashlyn about Body and Kind, a great event taking place in Adair in County Limerick in September. And David Daly from Board Bia's Consumer and Market Insight team will have details about the Board Bia Food and Drink Industry Awards. So until then, take care. Bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org. As in, Queen of Organisation. 
Bon Appetit.